Hello and welcome to Community Matters Conference Call. My name is Fran Stoddard. So you've joined the Community Matters Call on Citizen Planning Academies. Citizen Planning Academies build local leadership, increase awareness, and broaden involvement in community planning. Community Matters Calls are brought to you by the Orton Family Foundation, and they are an ongoing series designed to help people in their communities from all over North America take charge of their futures. I just want to remind people that hopefully you've opened the Google document. We are making sure that that uh, link is also um, on that page. If you are having any, uh, that should be certainly in the email that you got, or you can email us at info at communitymatters.org if you're having trouble finding that link to the Google Doc. Our speakers today are Wayne Senville, publisher and editor of PlannersWeb.com, Leanna Lawson, chairperson of Rockingham County Citizens Academy, and Kathleen Osher, executive director of Transit Alliance. So from Vermont, Colorado, and North Carolina, I'd like to welcome our guests, Wayne, Leanna, and Kathleen. Hello. Yeah, hi. How are you doing, Fran? Hi, this is Leanna. All right. We, um, we're going we're gonna to get to all three of them in just a minute and also challenge them with your questions from the Google Doc. But first, I'll just review how this works. We have over 185 folks registered today, so we have put all of you on mute to keep the audio as clean as possible. In your email is a link to our Google Doc. It's a shared online document for note-taking and questions. You should open that in your browser and follow along as uh, Rachel Moyer here at Orton takes notes. You can also add your own comments or questions to the document anytime. It's a good idea to skim through there now to see questions that have already come in to avoid redundancy. If you have a question during the call, please enter it there. We hope you also share your wisdom, comments, and examples by adding to this online document. We'll leave the document up after the call also for your continued input and reference. And in a few days, we'll also send the link around to participants, so the call notes and podcast will be available to you. Since the Google Doc can only handle about 50 people, however, as, a doc, as an active document, if you aren't adding to the document by using the edit button, by the way, if you're doing that, please close out and reopen the document in the read-only mode. If you're having any trouble with the Google Docs during the call, clicking the refresh icon should do it. So, on to our guests. Based in Burlington, Vermont, Wayne Senville is editor of PlannersWeb.com and the founding publisher and editor of the Planning Commissioner's Journal. For 23 years, the Planning Commissioner's Journal and PlannersWeb.com have served respectively as the nation's principal publication and online resource for citizen planners, including members <coughs> of local and regional planning commissions and zoning boards. He has also served as a planning commissioner for Burlington, Vermont, and a planning professional professional for the state. Welcome, Wayne. Yeah, hi, Fran. Thanks for the intro. Uh, just so everyone's aware, I'm getting over a cold. You're not going to catch it, but I do have, you might be hearing a cough. I have a glass of water right next to me and some cough drops, so you also might hear some crunching of cough drop. Uh, but let me get started uh, by just saying, first of all, we've published two articles uh, on that are available on plannersweb.com about citizen planning academies. Uh, the first was written by longtime Virginia Planning Commission trainer Mike Chandler back in 1998. And then last year, uh, we did an update to that article that our student intern, uh, Dan Rosenblum, helped prepare. So again, if you go to plannersweb.com uh, and also the Google Doc, 
<coughs> we'll reference it. You can, uh, you know, afterwards uh, read the two articles. I'm only going to speak briefly since I want to leave as much time as possible for both Leanna and Kathleen to describe their Citizen Academy programs uh, and, uh, of course, time for Q&A. Uh, there are four points I want to make about the benefits of Citizen Planning Academies in terms of laying some background for our conversation this afternoon. But before that, I just want to say that from what we've seen, there's no single format or template for creating a Citizen Planning Academy. So I hope if you try them, you'll come up with an approach that fits best with your own community or county, and then experiment with it, and learn from Leanna and Kathleen uh, about how they've set up their programs and what's worked well for them, and perhaps what hasn't. <coughs> Excuse me. Also, by way of background, uh, just for those of you who are sort of like the history type buffs, citizen planning academies actually have their origins in citizen police academies. Uh, the first of those was set up in Devon and Cornwall, England, back in 1977. And indeed, uh, not surprisingly, given the recent spate of police-related shootings, there's been a lot of interest in citizen police academies. And in fact, there was an interesting story on National Public Radio last month uh, about them. Uh, there's certainly at least some parallels between the impetus and goals of police academies and planning-related academies. Uh, I think, uh, from my perspective, uh, there are four major benefits that cities and counties can gain from setting up a citizen planning academy, or whatever you choose to call the kind of program we'll be talking about this afternoon. Uh, first off, uh, citizen academies can increase public familiarity with what often appears to non-planners as arcane, jargon-oriented, a mysterious process. Uh, one key function of citizen planning academies is to educate a broad range of community members about the planning process and about key local planning issues. Uh, Mike Chandler, in his Planning Commissioner Journal article on citizen planning academies, sort of nicely summed this up, and I'll just quote briefly from his article. One of the major challenges facing most communities and their planning boards is how to explain planning and the planning process in terms citizens can understand. A fundamental goal of the Citizens Planning Academy concept is to help educate, inform, and involve citizens in the community planning process. Uh, and I'd add an important fringe benefit of this is to build public confidence in local government. Uh, another longtime Planning Commissioner's Journal columnist, uh, who some of you may be familiar with, Elaine Kogan, uh, noted in an article of hers that and I'll quote briefly from her article, generally citizens distrust government at all levels. As a planning commissioner, you cannot change the world, our national attitudes, or even persuasive negative feelings people may have toward your local city or county. But by realizing you are part of that government and making sure you and your staff and colleagues are accessible and responsive, you may at least have a positive effect on how people perceive the planning function in your community. And uh, for me, citizen planning academies are one way of increasing accessibility to local planning. Uh, a second benefit uh, that I'd say citizen planning academies can offer is to help build a constituency for community planning and for efforts such as developing your long-range comprehensive plan. Uh, you'll be increasing the number of people who are knowledgeable about local planning. A third uh, point I want to make on the benefits of citizen planning academies, and it's one we heard about during work on our recent article on them, 
is that citizen academies also benefit the trainers, uh, those folks who are going to be lecturing in the program, who are often your local uh, planning director or staff planners. Most citizen planning academies provide ample opportunity for dialogue and conversation, and perhaps we'll be getting into this more uh, this afternoon. This gives planners a way of hearing the questions and concerns citizens have about different issues outside the context of a public hearing on a particular project or development. Uh, so uh, system planning academies can really provide a way of fostering two-way communications. And the fourth and final point I want to make, uh, and it's an important one for some communities, is that citizen planning academies can help bring individuals from underrepresented groups into the planning process while also helping build a larger pool of potential candidates for future openings on your planning commission or zoning board or related type of body. On uh, plannersweb.com, uh, we did a survey last year in which nearly 500 people, uh, primarily planners and planning commissioners from across the U.S., participated. Uh, while you can see the full results of the survey on our website, I want to very briefly highlight two of the questions which are, I think, relevant to our discussion. First, we asked the question, how well does your planning commission reflect the diversity and demographics of your community? 22% of those responding said not very well, while 52% said adequately, and just 26% said very well. Uh, so there's plenty of room for improvement. And citizen planning academies are one potential way of, uh, over time, broadening the diversity of your planning board and getting more people involved with and familiar with the ins and outs of your local planning process. Uh, our sur in our sur uh, survey, we also asked the question, how difficult is it for you to recruit new members to your planning commission? 66% of those responding told us it was either sometimes or usually difficult. Again, citizen planning academies may not be a panacea for this, but they can help, again, over time by broadening the pool of candidates you'll be able to draw from. Uh, so I guess that's my take. Uh, citizen planning academies can provide at least four key benefits, and there may well be more that will come up in our conversation this afternoon. One, broadening the community's understanding of local planning. Two, building a constituency for local planning. Three, allowing your planning staff to hear more from citizens outside the context of formal public hearings. And finally, by potentially engaging a broader range of the community in planning while increasing your pool of future planning commissioners or zoning board members. Uh, so that's what I have to say for my intro <coughs> remarks, Fran. Fabulous, Wayne. Thank you so much. And now we'll move on to some, some folks that are, are doing a lot of work right on the ground. Our next speaker, Leanna Lawson, is the chair of the Rockingham County Citizens Academy in North Carolina and a retired professor of nursing at Rockingham Community College. The Rockingham County Citizens Academy is a free 10-week program for Rockingham County citizens to learn and better understand how Rockingham County government operates. So, Leanna, why don't you tell us about Rockingham County Citizen Academy and how it works? All right, thank you. Um, after we had said, what is the Rockingham County Citizens Academy? It was originated in the fall of 2012, and it was endorsed and sponsored by the Rockingham County Board of Commissioners. But in the spring of 2013, 
we, the citizens, took it over, and it's now transitioned to the citizens. And the purpose of this academy is to inform, educate, engage, and empower local citizens with a thorough behind-the-scenes view of Rockingham County government in order to help grow and develop future county government leaders to personally meet and talk with the county elected officials, department heads, appointed board or committee members, and to staff and better understand how our county government operates. And from this, you will gain a knowledge, a working knowledge about the county's overall organization, the vision, the new the goals and the objectives, the budget, policies, procedures, and day-to-day -day operations. And it helps to create civic ambassadors who may engage others about the county government. And to be qualified to attend, all you have to do is be 18 years of age and be a citizen of Rockingham County or be employed in Rockingham County or be a business owner in Rockingham County, and anyone that's interested in Rockingham County's government. And from this Citizens Academy, we have had people, because now they have a knowledge of how our local county government runs, because we are a very poor county. We've had people now to get on the planning board, to be on the board of elections, to be on the library board, to be on the Social Service and Board of Health Board. And this has opened up their eyes to see how things work. And thank goodness we have a local community college because it has been our meeting place. And not only there, we have our uh, county museum and our Rockingham County libraries have been so open-hearted to let us come and meet there. And the thing about it, everybody said, well, I work, I won't get time to go home and eat. And we provide a light meal for them. And all of this is free for 10 weeks. And then we have a big graduation uh, at one of the board, um, at the Rockingham County Commissioner's Board meeting. We have a, um, a graduation where they call their names out and they go up and get their little certificates. And then we have like a little graduation ceremony. And it has really worked. It's very hard now because we, the citizens, have to get the speakers together. These are the board. Uh, elected people and the local department heads, and it's really worked because they've seen it, how it works, and actually some of the board members who uh, are department heads, they've been at the, some of the meetings for some of the other people when they talk, and now they want to come into the meeting. And so that's about all we I have to say. This will be our fifth year starting in September. Thank you. Fantastic, Leanna. Um, I love that you provide food and <laughs> have so many great places to meet. That's That adds a lot. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Um, so let's, uh, let's move on to Kathleen, and, uh, and then we'll get to your questions. Kathleen Osher is the Executive Director of the Denver-based Transit Alliance. She developed a model for citizens' engagement that is really unique in the nation. The Transit Alliance Citizens Academy is designed to educate and motivate community stakeholders by encouraging their involvement in the ongoing development of transit-oriented projects throughout the region. Many academy graduates are now elected members on school boards, transit boards, city councilors, 
and, state and the state legislature. Prior to joining Transit Alliance, Kathleen served as transportation manager for the Southeast Business Partnership and now Denver South TMA. So I think what's so interesting, Kathleen, is through transit, people have become much better citizens in general. It's a great, sounds like a great program. Tell us about it. Yes. Well, and I think it's important this morning or this afternoon to start with a little bit of history and context. Um, so in 1997, voters in the Denver metro area actually said no to mass transit. There was an effort that went to voters called Guide the Ride, and from it a coalition existed that then worked to understand what it would take for voters to say yes in our region. So they formed Transit Alliance, which is really focused on the grassroots education of citizens and supporting the coalition that was forming. So we worked over the next seven years on exactly that, educating citizens, really mobilizing the grassroots, as well as supporting the, co the growing coalition to support it. So in 2004, seven years later, voters did say yes to Fast Tracks. For those of you that may not be familiar with the Fast Tracks program, it's really a very large-scale transit investment, multi-billion dollar. It's really unlike anything that's been seen in terms of its magnitude since Washington, D.C., uh, put the metro in place and broke ground in that in the late 60s. So in 2005, directly following the election, much of the conversation was about transit-oriented development, how little communities could build up around these transit stations. We were roughly going to have 99 stations. And I was hired a year after the Fast Tracks vote to lead Transit Alliance and got the joy of being able to tell my board of directors, guess what, getting voters to say yes was probably the easy part, because I'll be the first to say that building a big multi-billion dollar transit infrastructure investment or any kind of big infrastructure is kind of like watching paint dry in the early years. It's not super exciting for the average citizen. So what we noticed at that point in time is that much of the conversation was, again, about this transit-oriented development. But what was missing is that people weren't considering um, what places were going to look like, how people would relate to them, what the engagement process would be to need um, and invest in that kind of transformative project with Fast Tracks. So we really saw an opportunity, if you're going to invest billions of dollars, let's leverage it to make more connected neighborhoods. And we wanted to know what people didn't understand, what do we wish people knew more about, and understand how complex and often these decisions uh, require a series of trade-offs. So in 2006, we invited Jan Gell from Copenhagen, Denmark. Many of you may be familiar with his work on placemaking. Uh, but he spent some time with us on a program we called and a national best practices study we called Metro Denver's New Pop Culture. And for us, pop was POP, people-oriented places. So we began with the idea that Fast Tracks is going to transform our region. So how can we leverage every single penny towards that end? So in 2007, we actually launched our Transit Alliance Citizens Academy. And what we wanted to achieve was a balance between education and knowledge sharing, really unwrap all of the complexities uh, with the various aspects of how you build community around transit, connect our neighborhoods better. But we also wanted to couple it together with a really great chance for relationship building and networking. And then most importantly, and what makes our program so nationally unique, is we said that's not enough. We really want people to understand that they have a role to play 
that they are accountable to for making this transit investment, this cultural shift, really happen. So we wanted each person to understand their role in being able to take action. So what we created was a seven-week program, meeting once a week, typically on Wednesday evenings for three hours from 6 to 9 p.m. We also provide dinner as part of our effort. And we were really drawing from citizens around our eight-county region. We did also dedicate ourselves to sort of this idea of creating a framework. We were very resistant to having an established curriculum. We really wanted to keep this a very living, breathing um, format and dialogue with citizens. So each of those weeks, we talked about things like the transit-oriented development, the trade-offs involved in those decisions, the progress on the transit investment with the Fast Tracks program, and in subsequent years, it's really grown to conversations about how our health directly is affected by the built environments, where there are new opportunities along the lines of sharing cultures, um, the growth of bike sharing and car sharing as part of that, um, many of the active transportation type issues, which are more related to pedestrians and people riding bicycles, but really bring all of those things together uh, within the context of those seven weeks. And then each week we provide some time for people to think through how they're going to take action. So we created this idea of an individual action plan. So they spend time then throughout the seven weeks designing and developing a project that they're going to take on in the next six months. And so focusing on some way that they can really get involved. And we really challenge people to focus in on their passions. What are the things that they get really excited about? And how do we design a program around that idea of passion? And so that, again, is what makes the program so nationally unique and has led us to uh, receive a national grant just recently. And we've just started to study the impact of our program. And the grant maker that we're working with is actually really interested in how we can take this nationally unique model and begin to scale it for other regions in the United States which is a fantastic opportunity for us. And on a parallel track, we're also partnering with our State Department of Transportation and another nonprofit to look at how we can take this model to small towns and rural communities across the state of Colorado. So what we've seen is the model that we've created is, is so unique um, that there are these new opportunities. And what, again, where we really focus our time and attention and energy is getting that unique balance between the education and knowledge sharing, but really focusing in on that relationship building and that sense of empowerment and creating that network between participants. We usually have between 45 to 50 people in each of these academies. We started in 2007. This is our ninth year. We now have 725 graduates. And as Fran mentioned, we see about 15% of them in elected office, and we see about a third of them filling other volunteer and appointed leadership positions. And so uh, with that, I would love to move us on to the opportunity for questions and dialogue. Terrific. Kathleen, thank you so much. And I, I believe you, you're now looking at one-day trainings um, as kind of a very condensed from the seven-week program to a, a potential one-day. We are. What we've noticed is that, um, and I'm sure Leanna could talk to this too, but Seven weeks is a big commitment for, for citizens, and so we've seen an opportunity to be able to focus specifically on certain themes or certain geography and boil the program into a one-day format. 
And what we've been able to do is still embed that idea of an individual action plan. We usually have to provide a little more guidance through that process um, and maybe give them three or four areas of action, but it really is an opportunity to deliver that program to people that can accommodate one day, you know, so roughly um, anywhere from four to six hours in that okay. commitment and, and kind of get them started. Great. Thank you. Well, I'd like to start out with a, a lot of people are interested in recruiting. Uh, and, Leanna, since your your program is so citizen-led now, very um, impressively, there's Ed from Oregon wrote in, can we expect 20 or more people to get involved from a population of 37,000? So this is a small area. Uh, clearly, they are thinking there aren't a lot of people. By the way, somebody I think might be on a speakerphone that's getting a little bit of feedback. So just be aware of that, either to come off speakerphone or um, just listen, listen for that. But Leanna, you know, I'd, I'd like, you know, what, what, how do you recruit? And then maybe uh, Kathleen and Wayne also have some ideas. But how do you recruit people for uh, your academy? Well, first we put it online and we open it up uh, to the citizens. And then we go to the various organizations and we request uh, a few minutes to speak to them, such as the Rotary, the Qantas, and the various areas, clubs in the area, and also to some of the churches and tell them about the Citizens Academy and that uh, this is something that will benefit them so that they will know what's going on. And especially, we have a lot of people that are interested when we do the financial part of, of the Citizens Academy about the budgeting and uh, finances, how your tax money is being used and where it's going. They actually let you pull up, uh, when we do the register of deeds with this, we actually pull up your plot of land and show you how these things work. And mm -hmm. people have been just fascinated. And from one class to the other, by word of mouth, we've got a lot of uh, people that want to participate. Terrific. Can, can I ask Leanna a question? Mm -hmm. Sure. This is Wayne. Uh, what's the population of your county? Oh, about? We have about somewhere between 92 and 93,000 people. And you have a number of municipalities in the county? Yes. We have, uh, let's see, there's Reedsville, there's Wentworth, there's Eating, Stonewall. There's about five municipalities in our area. And then we have some smaller little towns that don't have anything that kind of work in with the larger municipalities. Yeah, I mean, I, I was curious about that, but like looking through, scanning through some of the questions that have come in, there's one from uh, uh, someone in Maine who says that they live in a small town population of 5,000. None of their boards or commissions have a process for recruiting or orienting new members, only one person on their planning staff. So, I mean, from our, from my perspective and some of the research we did, you know, when you're dealing with small towns in that situation, uh, I think you really need to turn to the region or a county, depending on, you know, what the, what part of the country you're in. Because it is hard, I'd imagine, for a town of 5,000 to set up a, you know, a planning academy or program, but your regional planning, uh, organization, or a county planning organization might well have the resources to do that. And also, just just one other point before I get off. You know, I strongly agree with 
Leanne, what Leanna said about the benefits of speaking to various organizations in the community or county uh, to tell them about citizen planning academies, I think that's a terrific way to be recruiting, you know, and generating interest for it. Yeah. And this is Kathleen. I would just add to that. In the early years of getting the academy off the ground in 2007, so our very first round of applications, we actually looked almost more closely towards a nomination process for that very first academy. We had 99 applicants for 25 slots. So we started with a little wow. smaller program. So we were we were really surprised and, and very pleased at, at that kind of um, response. But I will say that the reason I think the response was so great was so many of the partnerships that we formed in the development of the program, that we sat down with all of the organizations, you know, at the, at the level of the Rotary, Kiwanis Clubs, up to the metro-wide Chamber of Commerce, the smaller chambers, the Urban Land Institute, all of those partners to sit down and ask them one fundamental question. What do you wish people knew more about? in the context of this community building around transit. And that helped us really formulate and get a pulse on what was happening, but it also created an amazing partnership for recruitment. I would say that one of our most surprising and longest lasting partnerships has been with the Colorado Association of Realtors. Mm. And real estate agents, you gotta love them because they get paid to get out there and talk to people. So you want them to be in the know. They love to be in the know. So it was a really fantastic partnership of getting some of residential, commercial, real estate folks involved in the program, um, as well as others that, um, you know, some of them were working professionally in transit but not realizing they had a civic role. And others were purely interested from a civic standpoint but didn't realize how much overlap what they did professionally may be. So it was a really interesting process of motivating them both on a personal and professional level. But those partnerships were so, so key. And we typically, for the 45 slots that we typically have in the academy, we generally are receiving between 60 and 65 applicants each round. Um, so we continue to see more people than we can accommodate. Great. Wow. Well, still, this is Leanna. We're so happy when we can get 35 applicants, and mostly in our each class, we have about 30, and we graduate about 25, 28 because we're a poor community, and uh, a lot of we had about three people who cried because they didn't want to drop out, but they had an opportunity to get a job. Hmm. But the most important thing is that uh, they get to see actually how your local government works, and we're hoping to, we're working on it to get this into one of our community colleges for maybe a class or so maybe they can get credit for this for one of their government classes because it's so unique. Well, that's a that's a great idea. It's Fran again, and and it seems that we've covered this question. But Mary from Illinois wanted examples of a nonprofit that hosts citizen planning academies for multiple communities. And I've heard about community colleges, um, some of the nonprofits that you work with, um, Kathleen. Are there any other examples of nonprofit hosts of planning academies? Well, and we fall in that category. We are. We are a 501c3 nonprofit. Um, we, make, we also make our academy available free of charge. We find that it costs about $1,000 per person, and um, we do everything possible to, to raise money for that. But we're probably only raising about 40% of those funds and then offsetting that balance with our general funds. 
um, because we feel like this is so vitally important for that long-term leadership at the regional need. You know, once we spend billions of dollars on transit, then it's a transformation that's decades in the making. And so um, many of our partners are nonprofits, but we also draw from the public sector and private sector as well. Okay. Yeah, and this this is Wayne. I mean, again, you know, I think that, you know, this is like an emerging area, and there are a lot of different approaches and models that are out there. I don't – I you know, I'd encourage people to experiment with what work, what you think is going to work best in your community, whether it's sort of the government sponsoring it or trying to find a nonprofit or, uh, or community college or, or some organization like that. I think, you know, the main point is to get the message out on planning and to involve citizenry, and the format that you use might vary from community to community or county to county. Well, Wayne, a, a couple of people just, just recently during the call have written in about can these work as webinars um, was one question. Another question, I would like to develop an online community for our small city. Uh, any suggestion for contacting citizens, getting those email addresses, getting it started? Could this be done as a webinar like this, uh, start as, a, as an online community? Any uh, experience there? Uh, this is Leanna. Uh, our county is kind of out, and we have a lot of times we have problems with our website, and we're in the process now of getting our websites up and working better because even the students in the colleges and the schools still have problems with their online type things, and so that's something that we're working on. That's why we're trying to have it at a local area. Because mm -hmm. we do visit the new jail, new courthouse, and at the colleges and have classes there. So it gives everybody an opportunity to visit the various places. Terrific. And, you know, this and, may, may be a generational issue. I mean, from my perspective, sort of as an older planner, I think that there's a definite strong value in sort of face-to-face -face discussions and dialogue. Yeah. Uh, and I know you can get some of that by a webinar, and I know there may be some economies of it. It may well work in some places, but uh, I'd really encourage people, if at all possible, at least to start with the face-to-face -face and then maybe build in webinars if you're successful with, with, with the initial type of program. Got it. And Kathleen, and did you have something to add? I did because, you know, it's something that we've talked about, even being able to host remote sites during – the seven-week program, um, and it's one thing that we've shied away from a little because, just as Wayne mentioned, that actual interaction is where we found a lot of magic in making sure that – I think there was a question from someone about how do you make that education last, and we're finding that that sense of empowerment that comes from being in the same room with both like-minded people, but also just people that are interested in, in taking a step forward and taking that action, um, that you can't quite achieve that balance of just sharing information and the relationship building piece, and then that sense of accountability of I have a role to play. No matter how small it is, if we do something small on every single day um, to help contribute to this, that's how we'll realize the bigger vision of, you know, spending billions of dollars and really making it work for, you know, healthier, more connected communities. 
but we just couldn't figure out a model that allowed us to do that same sense of relationship building. I would say for most of our graduates, that's one of the most powerful pieces. You know, I love to tell the story that two people met and got married in the academy. Um, you know, it's like the ultimate when you do that sort of thing, right? But, you know, lifelong friendships, lifelong um, professional relationships. And so it's just been so meaningful to be in the same room. So uh, Robin has asked for a specific example of a project that you worked on, Kathleen. Uh, in terms of the individual action plan? Yeah. So it it's really varies. There is a very, very big spectrum of projects. And one of the things that we do as part of it, and I usually get the joy of being able to tell people this, um, I'm not going to show you what everyone else did because you will default to something that someone else has done. I really want you to sit and think about what you are passionate about, either what gets you up in the morning and gets you all fired up or what gets you hopping mad, and really think about that piece, and then let's start talking about your individual action plan. I think one of the most heartfelt that I can remember through the years of doing this was somebody that loved riding on the bus, you know, back and forth for both life in general but also for work. And she said, you know why I love riding on the bus? Because it makes me a better pen pal to my grandma. And so mm-hmm. I sit and I write her notes as I'm writing. She said, so I'm going to take postage paid postcards and I'm going to pass them out and tell people my story on the bus. And it is, it's a very personal, very heartfelt initiative. Others come in knowing that they want to run for elected office and want to be more knowledgeable about this transit and community building piece and know that they want that as part of their platform. Um, Others look specifically at their station areas and how they can help impact that planning process. So it is a very planning-driven type effort. And then so many people that go through the program really are passionate about bicycle and pedestrian issues. So many of them think on a personal level of, I'm going to try and smile more when I'm at a stop sign and see other motorists because just a smile changes the whole dynamic to wanting to improve wayfinding signage on some of the major trails, um, both throughout the city and throughout the region. So there's a huge, huge spectrum of projects. Okay. Uh, this, this is Thank Leanna. you so much. Go ahead, Leanna. Uh, we found that, I'll agree with, Frank, with Kathleen, we found that the face-to-face discussions in the class have really worked because we, from this class, we've had a lot of people who ran for county offices some of us didn't win because I ran for county commissioner and didn't win, but it opened my eyes up with this class, so many things that the local officials do in their job responsibilities, and it helps you to be a better citizen and to appreciate your county officials because you know some of the things that they go through. Because we have department heads to come and tell us about some of their jobs, some of the things they have to do, and we have the opportunities to ask them questions and why is this? And they even have invited us to come to their offices and see things that they do. We don't just sit and wait for the phone to ring for us to get into action. And this has opened the eyes up to a lot of people. And we are saying now that all people in our area that are running for county offices should, for county office, should come to this class because this will help them to be aware of what the county manager, the county commissioners, and the various people do. Well, and Leanna, there was another question about that. Uh, they're wondering where your 
funding came from because you also alluded to that the the academy is really being taken over by the citizens themselves and the government is i think supportive of that but you know was that controversial that the that the citizens took took this over um how does the town feel about that and where does your funding come from we are budgeted through the county commissioners and uh, they were happy for us to take it over because this relieved them of some of their duties because at first we had a person that was assigned to us to do all of this, and now we set up the the program, we set up the planning, we set up the um, vendors who are going to serve. We we do all of these things ourselves and set up all the programs and the places and everything. And they were quite relieved and are very, very supportive. Okay, fantastic. I, I want to get back to uh, some earlier questions, and uh, Wayne, you might want to take this, but this is, uh, what do you do about a person who demands to participate on everything but drives people off committees and out of events and actually even to quit their jobs? Um, so yeah. An uh, anonymous question that uh, a chairman can't seem to contain his toxic behavior, they say. So what do you do about difficult people? Uh, well, I mean, first of all, let me just, it's a little bit off topic in terms of the citizen planning academies, but it's a common issue that frequently comes up. Uh, we've addressed that, you know, in a number of articles in the Planning Commissioner's Journal over the years. And Well, first of all, let me acknowledge it's a serious problem, and there are not necessarily any simple solutions to it. Uh, if it's something that persists, you might need to bring it to the attention of your governing body, since they're likely the ones who handle appointments and removal of members of the planning boards. Uh, but to be more positive, uh, I did comment uh, on the Google Doc on that and link to an article one of our longtime columnists, who I mentioned already, Elaine Kogan, uh, you know, uh, prepared. And she had an article which is somewhat related. It was dealing with commissioners who have too much to say. And she had a, you know, a number of good suggestions in that article. Uh, so I'd encourage uh, the commenter or anyone else to uh, check out uh, her article uh, dealing with commissioners who have too much to say and, uh, you know, looking at some of her tips on, uh, you know, on dealing with the type of situation that this, you know, the, the, this individual mentioned on the Google Doc. Okay. Thank you, Wayne. Yeah. Also, and I would uh, just... Yeah, I would add a little to that if we have time. Um, so it's interesting. We talked just briefly about the one-day academy. We're actually going to be hosting a one-day academy in a suburban city called Littleton, which is south of Denver proper. And um, it's a pretty interesting environment to go into. Actually, voters just took away the city's right of urban renewal in a special election in March. Um, so they have some very vocal anti-everything city um, citizens working to mobilize thousands for special elections or otherwise. Um, so one of the things that we are doing and a method that we're trying in that case is to make some of those really negative voices or overpowering voices have another role and make them still find an opportunity to feel special, if you will, in, in that context. Um, so we'll be interviewing them as part of the development of the One Day Academy and really using their experience and knowledge to help craft the One Day Academy, but we will most likely not have them 
participate during the One Day Academy. So just as a thought for in response to that question, if there are other roles to still make them feel engaged, um, there is an opportunity to always look at that uh, that chance to give them a special role. Well, I'll, I'll reinforce that. That's one of the points Elaine also makes in her article. So it's very interesting that that you said that because you can turn around behavior and people who, you know, might be very disruptive in a certain context, if you sort of focus their energies, you know, can become a resource. Mm, absolutely. Thanks, Wayne. There, there are two questions. We have a couple more questions to get to. Um, many uh, from Oregon, many of the neighborhoods we are partnering have residents that are not engaged. Uh, we do have promising practices for building intrinsic, you know, are there promising practices for building intrinsic motivations um, in uh, in neighborhoods? And, and somebody else actually talks about kind of the sustainability of this. How do you make this training stick and encourage people to continue to follow up with actual engagement? And so how do you keep, what are your thoughts and tips for keeping people engaged, getting people engaged in the first place, and keeping them engaged and motivated in participating. Um, Wayne, this you is Juliana. Yeah, go ahead. What we've done with the people after our training, when we found that there have been vacancies on the planning board, on the uh, election board, we've encouraged them to apply because we say you complained in the class that you didn't have, you had a problem that they didn't use any any local citizens. They only used their friends and their buddies. And from this, we've had. I uh, think about three people to get on the planning board. We have one on the election board. And this has worked out really well. And when graduates from the class now, we say, when there are vacancies, apply, because there are openings. And you will be able to give your input, because now you know more about what each group is supposed to do. Hmm. Well, let me, let me completely second that. Uh... You know, I think it also goes back to, you know, the point that was made earlier in the conversation about the importance of going into the neighborhoods and communities, talking with local leaders and neighborhood activists, uh, talking to church groups and, you know, the whole range of organizations in different neighborhoods to get people involved in these citizen academies. And the citizen academy in turn I think a really important function is that they get folks familiar with the planning vocabulary or jargon or whatever and get them comfortable with being active participants in the process. And I think that's sort of the aim that we're all after is getting as many people in our communities from as wide a perspective involved in the, process, in the planning process so that you don't get the charge that, well, it's only the developers or it's only the attorneys who are running the show in our community. So I think these citizen planning academies can be a terrific vehicle, you know, for broadening involvement. Absolutely. And I, I do, I would just add that um, to Leanna's point, I, I think that it is really important to continue to communicate opportunities for them actually to take on potential leadership roles, both mm -hmm. at, particularly at the appointed and volunteer leadership level. Um, I would also say, and I don't know if Leanna would agree or not, but I would also say that there is a little bit of um, added momentum for people to stay involved when they make a multi-week commitment. And I don't think it happens much earlier than seven weeks. And I know that the your program, Leanna, is 10 weeks. 
Um, but I do think that that um, really does create a, a mindset for them to want to stay involved. And I think that constant communication, we also are fortunate that we're a nonprofit that has other programming. Um, so we always make scholarships or um, complimentary tickets available to our graduates so that they come back and continue to be part of that conversation. Um, so I think even finding partners that allow for that same opportunity, because I do think that it is that process of empowerment um, and still feeling very um, sort of feeling special as part of that process does influence people to stay more involved. I know as we look at our research project, we're trying to get to a more tangible level of what that is, um, but one of our early interviews, uh, a graduate of the academy said, when I went through the academy, that was the very first time that I ever felt like a stakeholder. Can, can I, ask I don't know if she knew what she said. <laughs> can, can I ask you, Kathleen, and all, also Leanna, uh, and I think one of the questions related to this, had, what sort of demographics have you had in your programs? I mean, has it turned out being a broad representation of the community, or is that something you're still working on? Well, ours has, this is Leanna, ours has been from from all branches of our community, you know, from the western side and the lower side. Um, and we've had husband and wife, father and daughter, uh to come in and, and it's really worked because when one was was one day we had um the wife couldn't come because she had to work but the husband came hmm. and the next day she says I'm just so sorry I missed I was so excited when my husband came home and told me what was going on and it was as though I missed something and we have um the paperwork from each lecturer that comes and talks we try to have a little handout so if you do miss the class you'll be able to come in and and get involved in the class from where it was, you'll be able to see what happened from the last class. And we do have it from all of, all over, not just one little area. It's from the whole county, basically. Mm -hmm. there, there is, Wayne, a, a question that, that might be uh, getting a little bit at what, it, from another direction. Um, this is uh, from Dana, asks, as a co-leader of our racial equity and social justice core and communications teams, I'd like to know your suggestions on how to hold multi-million dollar development public works projects accountable to citizens for resultant community benefits and racial equity in construction labor and minority and women businesses in small business subcontracting. So maybe this is way too specific, um, but do you have a sense of, you know, are, are we getting a broad representation um, to uh, to think about some of these larger questions, how, how do you how do you deal with that, Kathleen? Is is that something you've worked on? Yes, and we actually our region was awarded one of the um, Sustainable Communities Initiatives grants, which is a combination of housing and urban development at the federal level, the Department of Transportation, and the Environmental Protection Agency, and so the. Um, Grant itself is really focused on working with people that are low-income, non-English speaking, people of color. And so what we did as part of the, as a sub-grantee here in our region was really look at how we could essentially modify the existing seven-week program to really uh, get more people, particularly underrepresented populations, involved in that process. 
So a couple of things that we did, we looked specifically at corridors um, that were being built as part of the Fast Tracks program. So the connection between our downtown and the airport, um, which is called the East Corridor, and then another uh, connection to the west from downtown Denver, between downtown Denver, Arvada, Wheat Ridge area. And so we looked at four-week programs with that because, again, the seven-week commitment is where the challenge comes in when you're dealing with particularly low-income, you know, much like um, Leanna was describing, it's really hard when you have to choose between your job or this program. You have to choose your job. And so one of the things that we also were able to do was pilot this one-day academy specifically with community members around three stations that were in an unincorporated area of a county. And so we had about 45 members on a Saturday morning that came and really uh, I think it was probably 50 to 60% of them were Spanish-speaking only. And we were able to put together a program and embed that individual action plan as part of our meeting that was from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. and included breakfast and lunch. And uh, that's where we see the opportunity because the seven-week is challenging. I would say we get a good, diverse group of people from different walks of life, but it still isn't always as concentrated for, for low income. And I would say diversity in the Denver region has a lot more to do with socioeconomics than race. To, to be really honest. And so that that piece is really one that we've um, struggled to look at how we can do that with these modifications of the academy because it's the same process of engagement where you go to them, right? So the corridor allows us to be in their neighborhood conducting these sessions for four weeks on four consecutive Saturdays. Or the one day allows us to be right in their neighborhood for one Saturday. Um, because otherwise our program, our regional program, just to give everybody, um, you know, equal distance, we hold it in downtown because there are more transit options um, and more opportunities for people to come from all over the region. Um, Great. So. Thank you. Well, we're, we're beginning to run out of time. I have two more questions. Um, one is, is kind of interesting that asks if professional planners are not facilitating these academies, how is the accuracy and scope of the information vetted since the public is being invited to participate? So do, to what degree do, we, do professionals need to be involved? Wayne? Well, uh, I'd say they're essential. Uh, you know, we're talking about uh, focusing on community planning issues. You're going to need your uh, planning director or staff planners there. When we were doing our research, uh, the uh, citizen planning programs that we were that we came across did have heavy involvement from professional planners. If not, uh, if not being the organizers, they're often the people who are talking on different topics uh, during the program. So definitely, they're an important voice in uh, in a citizen planning program. You know, at least you know, from what we were looking into. Great. Got it. This and is, Leanna, Leanna, is that true for you as well? That goes for us also. We have the uh, department heads to come in, and they are some of our speakers, and they in turn can answer questions related to the various things in their department. And this has okay. worked well for us. Great. Well, I'm going to get to the last question. We, we might have another minute, but I want to make sure that uh, we do ask each of you to address 
you know, one thing that people can do to take action and get started to initiate a citizen academy in their town. Know that before we answer that, because this Google Doc is live, we, we also we got to most of the questions, but not all. I know that there's one on grants. If people have ideas, want to add to this Google Doc, I know that our guests will also add to it after the call. So know that this, this is a resource that will continue um, a little bit beyond this call. So uh, again, I, I think we'll, we'll start with uh, Wayne again. What's one thing people can do to take action or get started to initiate these academies? Well, I mean, I guess... I would just say don't be afraid to give something a try, you know, and get started. Uh, and I'm a little bit concerned with the word academy. I mean, I know there are some benefits from it, but just because it's called an academy, you know, it's a certain formality. I'd say let's experiment, try things. If you want to start something pretty basic and simple at first, go for it. Okay, great, Wayne. Uh, Leanna, your your thoughts about how to get people started and excited about uh, getting one going in their town? I think what you need to do is go and talk to your county manager and your commissioners and tell them what you would like to do. You would like for the citizens to become better informed about what's going on in their communities and outline some of the things that you would like to do and you need their support and help. Okay, terrific. And Kathleen? I would echo that comment. Um, it is just so vitally important getting started with this of figuring out who can be additional champions for you, who can be partners in that process. Um, we, too, have guest speakers in most of our sessions, so we bring the experts to uh, each academy class to talk about a variety of issues. But it's it's so powerful to get started with the idea and really form those partnerships and relationships early on uh, because they become so critical as, as time goes on. So if it's an idea that you like, start finding those, you know, two, three, four champions and partners um, that can help you get it off the ground. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Good suggestion. Okay. Well, since we do have another minute before I have to do my little close, uh, we didn't get to Erin's question from Oregon. She wants um, some suggestions of a few grants that specifically might support the development of these sort of uh, leadership programs. Do you have uh, um, any of you ideas about how to get some funds to get these these things going? Well, I, I mean, I'm curious to ask Leanna how you got the initial uh, funds from your county commissioners. Was that a very small amount or was it, you know, was it real oh, difficult? We had $5,000 that was funded to us. But what happened, one of our county commissioners, he had been pushing this for about four years, and finally we got it off the ground, and they, uh, when they did that budget, they included us. Mm -hmm. And from then on, it has been a success, and they even pop in, some of the commissioners will pop into our meetings just to see what we're doing, and they're finding out that it's been successful, and the people that have graduated have come and been on some of the boards and things, and they so far we're still being funded. You know, that you mentioned an important point. I don't think we mentioned. I mean, in our and what we looked at in a lot of citizen planning academies, you have active participant from governing body members, which I think is an important plus too. Right. And I would just say, from from our point of view, it's 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 a difficult thing to fund. I know that. Um, 
I've had the chance to be out in Washington, D.C. and talk with some folks, and we'll be in New York soon. Many of the national grant makers and foundations really aren't looking at programs like this. Um, mm -hmm. So there's not a lot on the bigger scale of foundation grants um, that we've identified. There are lots of small little monies. I mean, I think it's like funding anything, much like our Fast Tracks program even. It's like cobbling together just little tiny bits of money. We don't charge our participants, even though I get, you know, that question all the time from the board, like, how can we keep doing this for free? I don't know, but we need to try because it's so important to get that diversity of citizens involved. But it is, you just need to find those partnerships. Hopefully those lead to small checks, big checks. Um, we do a big, huge fundraiser every year um, with a special event to try and help offset the cost. So it is a lot of cobbling together little bits of money, but it's very people intensive. I mean, it is there is a true cost to it. Yeah. Well, thank you, thank you all. We're going to have to close this call. Um, this has been a terrific uh, webinar. I mean. Uh, conference call, not a webinar today. I want to thank Kathleen Osher for all your great tips. Thank you so much. And thanks to Wayne Senville for your deep knowledge, and also many thanks to Leanna Lawson for your fabulous insight. Thanks, thanks to all three of you. I'm glad to be on. Thank glad you. to be here. So for a robust choice of more resources on Citizen Planning Academies, check out the bottom of the Google Doc. We also hope, again, that you add your expertise to these Community Matters uh, documents. We all benefit from your additional comments, from the wisdom of this fabulous crowd, and your expertise. A podcast of this call and call notes will be emailed around and posted online. There's also a link to a very brief survey at the top of the Google Doc in this announcement section. Uh, please take a moment to complete the survey and tell us about your experience on today's call. It will help us learn how to make our series more useful to you in the future. Coming up this summer, the Orton Family Foundation will be offering two events on community heart and soul engagement techniques. The July 9th Heart and Soul Talk focuses on storytelling, and an August 13th talk looks at out-of-the-box ways to boost public engagement. We hope you join us. Check out the events page at Orton.org for more information. Thank you all for participating. This has been a really fun call. For all of us at the Orton Family Foundation, I'm Fran Stoddard. Hope to see you next time. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.